Let us pray. Shatter the silence, mighty God, with your glad and glorious greetings. Banish all our fears and give us faith in Jesus Christ, the risen Lord. If there is anything said from this pulpit that is against your will, let it come to naught and do no harm. But if there is anything said from this pulpit that is according to your will, let it be heard, as if sung by the voice of angels, that hearing we might believe, and believing obey. Amen. You all probably know that our national anthem was written by Francis Scott Key during the War of 1812. Key was aboard a British ship, actually, and he was amidst a hostage negotiation and looked on from that ship as British forces bombarded the Americans at Fort McHenry in the Battle of Baltimore on and throughout the night of September 13, 1814. At dawn, however, he peeked out and he saw Old Glory still waving and inspired by its fortitude, he wrote a poem called The Defense of Fort McHenry and set it to a popular tune. It wasn't for another century, however, that what we know as the Star-Spangled Banner became our national anthem. It was as I'm sure will be no surprise, a baseball game that featured that song and pushed it to the forefront. And it was, as I'm sure will be no surprise, a baseball game featured by the Boston Red Sox. <laughs> the World Series, in fact, in 1918, against the Chicago Cubs where the anthem was played for the first time as part of the seventh inning stretch. And the crowd, impassioned by the end of World War I, sang it out with great fervor, ingraining it as a baseball tradition ever since. So we can thank the Boston Red Sox for the national anthem. That's the sermon. <laughs> now, needless to say, the politicians <laughs> stretched out the final decision on the national anthem for another 13 years, as they do, but it was at that game in Wrigley Field in 1918 that the poem effectively became the anthem. That origin story, the one for the anthem, naturally leads us to another origin story for Veterans Day. It is a day to honor those that have made a commitment to defending our country and our ideals. But do you know where it started? Maybe you do. 100 years ago today, represent representatives from the fighting countries sat together to sign an armistice to end World War I. They believed that was the war to end all wars. And today, we wear red poppies. If you didn't get one on the way out, I hope you'll get one, a way in, I hope you'll get one on the way out. 
Red poppies are a symbol of World War I from the poem Flanders Fields. And there's an insert in your bulletin to tell you more about that. Today, we will join with churches all over the world in ringing our church bells 11 times on the 11th day of the 11th month, in the 11th hour. So at 11 o'clock, our bells will ring with bells all over the world, celebrating 100 years after that armistice was signed. Some church leaders kind of squawk about recognizing Veterans Day as part of a worship service. They complain about how churches should not romanticize violence, which, of course, is true. But if you know its starting point, you know its origin story, you know that Veterans Day is not about glorifying war. It is about celebrating the end of it. And that, I think, is what we are and should be about. Peace and a chance for a better tomorrow, even as we recognize, this is important, even as we recognize the complicated way that we come to peace, geopolitically, spiritually, and every way in between. It's complicated, the way that we come to peace. Which brings us to yet another origin story. The one we find in today's text. Today we learn where Paul gets his start. If ever there was a complicated start to something beautiful, something as beautiful as the authorship of a good deal of the New Testament, it was the start we find from Paul. At first glance, you might not even have noticed that this was Paul's origin story. Here in this passage, he's still going by the name Saul. Here in this passage, he's this bit character. He's standing off in the shadows. The protagonist, of course, is Stephen. Just before this passage, Stephen gets a long sermon that takes 53 verses. It's a long sermon. Some would say that his sermon isn't too long, and wouldn't it be great if our pastor only preached for 53 verses? But it is a long sermon by the standards of the New Testament. And in that sermon, Stephen admonishes the religious stakeholders in the same way that Jesus had, and as a result, he receives a similar fate. Stephen gets a sermon, and then Stephen gets the stones. And Saul only gets a 15-word introduction. And the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. They may only be 15 words, but they tell us almost as much about what we need to know as Stephen's sermon does. These words tell us first that fists are coming. Bryce Jones writes, the shed garment motif is prevalent in ancient literature. This wasn't the first time. The loss of a garment could be associated with motion and the freeing up of the upper torso, the gesture 
signified an impending act of violence and many times death. The first readers of this text would know what was coming when the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. Those 15 words also tell us that Saul, who would one day become known as Paul, was the chief orchestrator of the assault. Luke Timothy Johnson notes that the author has purposefully placed in the narrative of Acts at this particular juncture because it designates Saul, who would be Paul, as the ringleader of the mob. This is the first glimpse we get of Saul. This is Paul's origin story. This is how he was. Before he penned the letters that would live in our hearts, he authored the death of Stephen, Christianity's first martyr. Before he was blinded by God's light on the road to Damascus, he had Stephen's eyes closed right here before the Sanhedrin. Before he was the apostle Paul, he was the orchestrator Saul. And I, for one, am glad for this. I'm sad for Stephen. I'm not glad for the stoning. There's no place for this kind of horrifying violence in the way we're called to be together. No, this is not an attempt by me to put lipstick on a pig, as they say, to dress up this grotesque act of persecution as if it happened for a reason. Like with most everything that disrupts our world, we can thank an evil that is bigger than we are for creeping in, whispering in our ear, taking hold, and creating destruction. God doesn't create or condone the heartache, disruption, the violence that we experience that Stephen or anyone else experiences, but God doesn't waste the violence either. And as we know from what happens in the rest of the book of Acts, what we read in Romans and Corinthians and Philippians, Thessalonians and Philemon. God doesn't waste Saul either. And you can see why I, for one, am glad for this. I'm glad for all of us because God won't waste us. No matter what our origin story looks like, God won't waste you. I think that this passage teaches us that we don't have to pretend that our origin story is something that it's not. That we are something that we're not. That we aren't carrying the baggage that we carry. I, I think that his origin story Saul's origin, Paul's origin story is our story too, that inside of us is a violence of some kind. If we're really honest with ourselves and introspective, I believe that there is this headlong struggle. Let me just say for me, there's a headlong struggle taking place between the Paul that I want to be and the Saul that I know I am. There is inside, and I'll claim it, an orchestrator of meanness. The one that takes pride in the cloaks that lay near my toes. It may not be that physical death comes from the Paul inside. 
But there is something about the sound of stones hitting flesh that gets passed on and lives inside. The angry text, the hurtful email, the vindictive gesture, the degrading remark, the purposeful lie, the drama started, encouraged, or continued. Continued. There is an entire menu for what the stones look like. And, and we stand, okay, I'll claim it, I stand in the shadow and pretend to be just a bit player, but all the while knowing how much we can love being hurt played out. But against all of that, thank God, against all of that, at war with that, is the apostle, the apostle inside that longs to breathe. The one that gets excited when someone rises to the challenge. I know that apostle lives in me. Maybe he does, you too. The deliverer of enthusiasm to the one who is lonely or crestfallen. The sharer of good things to those that do not have enough. Later on in his life, Paul will write this best when in his letter to Romans, he says, I do not understand my own actions. For I do, I do not do what I want, but I do everything that I hate. For I delight in the law of God in my inmost self, but I see in my members another law at war with the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. There is a violence going on inside of me and maybe you too. I need to know, you need to know. Many of the veterans that we'll honor today, especially those who have returned from conflict, need to know, how do I get to peace? How do I get to peace? There is this clash between the Saul that I am and the Paul that I want to be going on inside of me. And so on this 100th anniversary of the armistice that ended the war to end all wars, I, for one, long for a new armistice. I, for one, long for a new armistice that brings a peace to the war going on inside of me. The new armistice is not the kind of agreement that can be negotiated by human leaders of any kind. The evil that gives breath to the Saul inside of me chuckles at that thought. The kind of armistice that I need and maybe the one that you need too. The kind of armistice that's needed for the violence that lives inside of us can only be authored by God. The armistice that I need and maybe you need too and maybe those veterans need as well has found its initial word on Golgotha is being written in the ink of the Spirit and will be punctuated by the return of the King. On that day, on that glorious day where God promises our best day is ahead, the Paul inside of us, the apostle that longs to get the word out, the word of love and beauty and peace, on that day we will be set free from the shackling burden of the cloaks at our feet for once and for all, and there will be peace. Amen.
And if you are here today, consumed by the violence within, suspicious that any armistice authored by God or otherwise can settle it, remember that today I began by exploring origin stories for the anthem, for veterans, and for poppies. And as I close, I encourage you to consider what is your origin story? What is your starting point? Wherever you're starting, however things might be raging inside, whatever level of peace you think is a far-off fantasy, remember this. If God can use Saul's starting point and end with peace, God can use yours too. There was no way for Saul to know the cloaks at his feet. There's no way for him to imagine that a group called the Christians would read what he was writing 2,000 years later. And if God's armistice would take hold in your heart like it took hold in his on the road to Damascus, there just might be something unimaginable, some unimaginable peace and beauty that God has in mind for you too. And all God's children said, Amen. Amen.